Father God, we need you. God, we need you every hour of every day. Lord, if we are a true child of God today, Lord, we realize how tough this walk is. Jesus, you said in your word that this road is narrow and it is a difficult road. Lord, the only way we can get by is through your provision, through your grace, through your mercy. Father, we need you. And we need you in this service, God. I need you, especially in this service, Lord. Because, Lord, I don't want to be the one that speaks today. I want you to be seen, you to be heard, your word, your truth, your gospel. So, Father, help me to not get in the way. And God, hide me and show up in this place today and speak to your people your truth and your word today. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that where two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst. Father, it's not about a feeling. It's about believing that you're here. It's about having faith, and it's about knowing that your word is true. And God, we gathered in Jesus' name this morning. Therefore, you're in this place. And Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we just pray that you'll have your way in this service. We give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. You may be seated. How's everybody? Y'all quiet this morning. Y'all okay? I'm working on about three hours of sleep. I don't know why. I, me and my wife were up at 1 o'clock still watching TV, and we were both sitting there looking at each other going, why in the world are we still awake we were not tired at all, and, and I told Katrina out front, I said, the only thing I can tell you is I had Zaxby's for dinner last night, and we both had big, tall, 32-ounce uh, cups of their tea, and they must put drugs in them or something. I mean, that's all I can tell you, because both of us at 3 o'clock this morning were sitting there with our eyes wide open, so uh, if you ever need to stay awake... Try the tea at Zaxby's. It probably will help you. Uh, but uh, thank you for coming out. Thank you for being here this morning. We have a, I just want to reiterate a, a couple of the announcements. Uh, next Sunday is our Youth Sunday. Um, that is the 15th, our youth. Hopefully, if, if, if uh, we get them all to sign up, and if you haven't signed up, youth, please do the sign-up table back there at the youth table sign up for that we would love for the youth to be completely in charge of greeting and tech and sound and singing the whole nine yards and our our very own uh adam hurley will be bringing this to message our youth director so we're excited about that please come out support that this is not a sunday that we can just skip now because the young people are up here uh, but come out and support that be of support show them how much you support them by being here uh, and then next Sunday as well, after service, uh, Jennifer Walker will be doing a fundraiser for the Awanas program. That's a lasagna lunch. You like Anybody like lasagna? I don't, but I'm probably going to eat it anyway, just to, show my, just to show you my support to the Awanas. The Awanas is a great program. On Wednesday night, she does an awesome job 
um, with the kids over there. I don't know if you've ever been a part of that, if your kids are a part of that, or if maybe you've just, if you've never been a part of that, or maybe you don't even know what happens over there, just swing by sometime on a Wednesday night when we're in our semesters, and just take a look. She's, she's a, a well-oiled machine over there. She's got it going on pretty good, and, and the kids are learning about Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's most important. So that's next Sunday. Right after the service, we'll have a lasagna lunch, so mark your calendars, be a part of that, uh, and I think it's, do we have prices? It's $5 for adults and $3 for kids, so you won't beat that price either, uh, anywhere you go, I promise, I just ate Zaxby's last night and it cost me 20 some dollars, so, uh, and I couldn't go to sleep, so. <laughs> But we are continuing our series in the armor of God. How many of you enjoyed the series, The Armor of God? Have you gotten something from it? I mean, because it's, it's for you. It's for us as believers to take this armor on, put it on, walk in this armor so that we can live victoriously in this present life. You know, there's so many things that we... Uh, we fall short. We have a lot of shortcomings. We fall short of the glory of God. Even after we come to salvation, there's still a lot that we need to give God. And there's a lot of our life that we need to give God. And God has given us every weapon, every tool, everything that we need to walk victoriously in this life. Above sin, above those temptations in our life. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that, but let's roll into our, our scripture, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Read it out loud. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And give God a hand for his word this morning. Now, we've, we've talked about why we fight. We have a reason to fight. If, if you've been a Christian very long, you've, you've felt a pull, a tug. Satan is, uh, is after you, so you have a reason to fight. You have a reason to fight for your families. You have a reason to fight for your souls, for your, uh, everything that God has given you. Satan is trying to take it away. He's trying to destroy you, so we have a reason to fight. Blake covered the belt of truth and why, the importance of the belt of truth, why we're to wear the belt of truth, and everything hangs on the truth and the truth of God's word. God 
is truth. And so we're, we better believe in the truth and we, our lives should reflect the truth of God's word. The breastplate of righteousness, we talked about how we have to be right with God. And in order to be right with God, we have to be right with others, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And those who are not in Christ, we have to be right with others in order to be right with God. Then we talked about the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, of how important it is to wear shoes. You like my shoes? Huh? <laughs> Y'all talked about my addiction to shoes, and I hope that you have prayed for me because it's not changed any. Uh, but it is a temptation of mine. But anyhow, uh, we talked about how our shoes are important and how our, our feet have to be grounded in the, in the Word of God and how important that is to be firmly grounded in the Word of God. And last week we talked about the shield of faith and how the, God's people walk by faith and not by sight. And we had a demonstration up here with Julia about how, what does that really look like? How do we really walk by faith? and not by sight but we're to walk by faith and faith is the most important piece of our armor because without faith it's impossible to please God without faith you can't really put the rest of the armor on because we do that by faith our armor is a spiritual armor it's not a physical armor and so we're to walk by faith put it on and battle Satan as he throws attacks on our lives so now we want to look at the fifth piece of armor, and that's the helmet of salvation. I said to you last week that um, the, the shield of faith was the most important piece of armor, and I believe that. I believe we have to have faith in order to do any of this. We have to have faith to believe in Jesus Christ. We have, a, we have to have faith to walk this life as a Christian. But I do believe that the helmet of salvation is definitely second most important piece of armor. Helmets are important. Don't you agree? I mean, I know when you uh, motorcyclists in, in the state of North Carolina have to wear helmets. I know some, some states don't make you wear helmets. I think we're in Florida not too long ago, and they didn't have to wear helmets down there. And I know they don't have to wear helmets in South Carolina. But you let one of them wreck, and I promise you they're going to wish they had a helmet on. Uh, so helmets are important. Co uh, soldiers wear helmets um, in combat. When they go to war, they wear helmets. Construction workers wear helmets on the job. They wear hard hats for, you know, just in case something falls. They don't get hit in the head. Uh, firefighters wear helmets. When they're firefighting and, you know, and they're in the midst of a fire and stuff is falling, stuff is caving in, they wear helmets to protect their head. Football players wear helmets. Although it doesn't seem like it's working much for them here lately. But they wear helmets to protect their head. Baseball players wear helmets when they're batting. Because a ball coming at you at 100 miles per hour hitting you in the head will do some serious damage. So they wear helmets to protect their head. Cyclists. I used to cycle. Believe it or not. I did. I used to cycle. And I wore a helmet. I wore the little tights and everything too, by the way. I didn't give you a visual, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I did. And I wore a helmet because if I fell off my bike, I wanted to make sure that my head was protected. You see, why is helmets important? Because you can suffer a broken leg. 
You can su suffer a broken arm, broken ribs even, but one wrong blow to the head will kill you. It will absolutely kill you. And if you'd ever noticed that people who get damaged to the head, there's, their whole body can be intact. They could have no broken bones, but have a head injury, a head trauma, and it affects the whole body. Because the brain cannot communicate to the rest of the body. So helmets are important, and just as important as they are in the physical realm, they're important in the spiritual realm. It's, the head is the last place that we want an injury, but it's the first place that Satan is targeting. He's targeting our minds. He's targeting our thought process. Roman soldiers, back in those days, their helmets were made of, of steel or metal, and they would beat this metal into a head-shaped form, and then it had these two little wings that come down and covered their cheeks, and then they lined it with leather so that they could, you know, they could wear it on their head without it killing them. And then, but during war in those times, in cavalry, they would send in these soldiers on horses, and these horses would come mounted, or these soldiers would come mounted on horses, and they would use these broad swords, and they were about three to four feet long, pretty broad in, in width, and they were double-edged, and they would come through on a horse and swing that sword at the foot soldiers on the ground in hopes that they would uh, shatter their skull or even decapitate them. That was their plan. That was, their, uh, that was what they were trying to do with that sword. And so the Roman soldiers in battle would use these helmets in hopes to deflect the sword from, from doing any damage. But that tells us Paul is writing about the armor of God and he is, he is making parallels from the Roman soldier to what it's really like, what it should be like in the spiritual realm for us. And so he's saying that Satan is targeting our minds. He wants to get after our minds. So the helmet is very important. And just as important it is to the Roman soldier or, or to anything that you do as a sport or, or baseball or football or the firefighters or all those people that we talked about, it's just as important in the spiritual realm. The head is the last thing that we want injured. The mind is the last thing that we want Satan to attack. But that's the first area that he comes for. Our text says that the spiritual helmet we're to wear in our spiritual battles. In our spiritual battles we're to wear this helmet. The Bible says that we're to worship God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. So imagine if our mind, if Satan gets to our mind, he can do a lot of damage to our heart and our soul. Amen? So we have to guard our minds. So while we look at this helmet of salvation, I want to break it down into three parts. I want to talk about three parts of this helmet that I believe will help us stand against the attacks of Satan. And the first part of that helmet I want to talk to you about is the helmet of determination. I believe that determination matters when it comes to serving God. Romans 12, 11 through 
12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serve in the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. In other words, keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Keep on keeping on. Be determined. You know, I talked about last week about losing weight and that I had faith that I would lose some weight one day and get in shape, and I do. Maybe even get back on the bike and put my tights back on. I don't know. We'll see. But I do have faith that I will do that one day. But the fact of the matter is, is until I make my mind up and get tired of being this way, until I make my mind up and get determined in my mind to do something about it, guess what? Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change until I make my mind up. And I believe it's the same as Christians. I believe today, as Christians, some of you have been saved for a long time, but you're still on the milk of God. You need to move past the milk, get onto the meat, but it will only happen when you make your mind up. It will only happen when you say to yourself, I'm determined that I'm going to walk this walk as a Christian. I'm determined that nothing else matters, God. I'm going to make my mind up to follow you hook, line, and sinker, God. No matter what comes my way, Father, I'm going to make my mind up to follow you. Don't get me wrong. You're saved, but there's a part of your life that you've just never sold out to God. And God's looking for us to sell out. He's looking for us to be a determined people, a people with a made-up mind to live for God. I told you, I grew up without a father. I grew up, I didn't know my father until I was 32 years old, and, and what I knew of him was not real good. You know, he was abusive to my mom, and, uh, but I have a relationship with my father, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, as as of now, and uh, but didn't know him until I was thirty two year old, thirty two years old, and so growing up, I made it a point. I was determined as a young boy that I was not going to be like that. I was not going to be an absent father. Now this had nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I wasn't saved. I didn't grow up in church, but in my mind, I was determined that I was not going to be an absent father. I was going to be there for my children. My oldest son, I told him all the time, I said, son, you, you may not like me at times. You may hate me sometimes, but you, for one thing for sure, I'm going to be there. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be a part of your life. I'm going to be in your life. I was determined that I was not going to be like that. So I made up my mind at a young age and I taught myself all the way up through childhood and teenagehood and into manhood that I was going to be the father that I never had. I was determined to do that. There's power in a determined mind. Don't you agree? I mean, think about the power of the mind by itself. I mean, the power of the mind can make... It, you can make yourself sick if you think it up enough. That's how we have hypochondriacs, you know, that are always sick. There's always something wrong. There's always, and there's, not, there's nothing really wrong with them. But in their mind, they have just made it up over and over and over. Something's always wrong. I've got this feeling in my 
my side and oh it must be something wrong with my gallbladder it must be something wrong with my stomach or it must be something internally wrong my wife says I'm that way but it it must be something wrong you know and you're constantly something's constantly wrong so you're in your mind it must be bad or or how many of you have ever been scared and you be in the woods or something and you see things you ever see things come on now y'all ain't telling the truth you see things you see shadows you see shadows or or you're laying in the bed at night all by yourself nobody else is home you hear things you ever do that you hear things but it's not it's not that something's there it's because your mind is a powerful powerful instrument and you you have to be careful how you think it's it's how uh, it determined mind is how people like LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods it's how they become they go from nothing but they make up their mind I'm gonna be determined to be an awesome basketball player and they're determined as a young child that over the next however many years I'm gonna be the best ball player and they make their mind up to that they're gonna be awesome at this sport Tiger Woods and if you study it and if you do much research they all started when they were little they all said when they were little I'm going to be great one day I'm going to be great one day and look at them some of the best all-time greatest basketball players of our time it's because they had a determined mind that they were going to be that person they were going to be the best at whatever sport it was that they were doing there's power in a determined mind it's how a person goes from rags to riches it's how a person goes from having nothing in life being dirt poor to being a multi-millionaire it happens all the time there's all kinds of success stories out there about people who grew up in poverty and now are multi-millionaires why because when they were little when they were growing up they made up their mind they determined in their mind I'm not going to be poor when I grow up I'm going to do something about it and they they did it because they made up their mind they were gonna do it God uses people with determined minds you don't even have to have a degree or a special education thank God but God can use you in a special way he wants to use you in a special way but you'll have to make your mind up you'll have to determine in your mind that I'm gonna follow you God I'm gonna give it all to you God Moses had determination to free his people from Egyptian bondage he came time and time again we know the story let my people go let my people go let my people go he was determined to do what God had called him to do Noah was determined to build the ark in the midst of ridicule and mockery Daniel was determined that he would pray to the one true God three times a day even when the king put out a decree that you were not supposed to Daniel prayed he was determined I'll not 
bow down to the king. I will pray to the one true God. And you know the story, he got thrown into the lion's den and God delivered him. But it was because of his determination to be faithful to God. Jesus was determined to go to the cross. You find Jesus in the garden praying, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, Lord, thine will be done. God, if there's some way I can get out of this, but Father, I'm determined to do your will. I'm determined to go to the cross and do your will. Aren't you glad of that? He went to the cross because he was determined to do so. God wants to do awesome things in your life. He wants to do great and awesome things in your life, your family's life, through your life. But you'll have to make up your mind and sell out to God. I mean, we live in, we live in, a, we live in churches in America where people just don't sell out to God. I mean, in other countries, it's costing them everything. It's costing them their homes, their families, everything that they have. Because they're selling out to God. Here in America, hmm, if I don't like this church, I'll go to the one down the road. If I don't like that one, I'll go to the one up the road. If I don't like that one, I'll go to the one on the block over. Man, how it must grieve the heart of God because we won't just sell out. It's not about, it's not about what you like. It's about selling out to God. It's not about your comfort. It's about selling out to God and saying, Lord, I don't care what they're singing this morning, I come to worship you, Father. I come in this place to worship you and praise you. I didn't come to hear what they were singing. We've got to sell out to God. We've got to make up our mind to do so. And God will do great things through your life. Number two, I believe, when you get the helmet of determination, you'll have to have the helmet of discipline. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline seems pleasant at that at time, at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. This word discipline literally means training. I know you're thinking beat your child. That's it's training. It means training. So as a Christian, we're to live disciplined lives man we people are not disciplined in this world you ever notice especially the newer generation sorry but we want something for nothing we don't want to work this generation come up wants something for nothing they don't want to work they don't want to put the time in they don't want to put the hard time in and it's not just that generation it seems like it's across the board anymore nobody wants to put the hard work in Nobody wants to put the hard time in and be disciplined to reach the top. They want to come out at the bottom and go straight to the top and get something for nothing. But God says, when you do, when you're faithful in little, I'll give you a little more. And when you're faithful at that, I'll give you a little more. And when you're disciplined at doing that, I'll give you a little more. And when you do that for a little while, I'll give you a little more. That's how God works. We're to be disciplined in in this walk with God the same athletes that were great and are awesome the LeBron James and the Michael Jordans and the Tiger Woods that they were disciplined to get there 
They just didn't wake up one day and say, oh, man, I'm going to be a great basketball star one day. No, they set a strategy ahead of them. They said, okay, every day I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And for years they did that. While their, while their friends were gone having fun, they were doing basketball drills or they were practicing their golf swing. They were doing whatever it took to be disciplined so that they could be great. The same people in the Bible that did these awesome things, Moses and Noah and, and Daniel, they were disciplined. No, Daniel prayed three times a day. He prayed three times a day faithfully disciplined. He lived a disciplined life. They were mastering their craft while everybody else was having fun. Reading the Bible will take discipline. We've talked about the Word of God for some time now and how the armor points us back to the Word of God always. And just like everything else, the helmet of salvation points you back to the Word of God. You have to, uh, you have to, to be determined, you have to be di disciplined, and you have to get in this book and read. You have to know who you're reading about. Know why you need to be determined to follow God. Know why you need to make up your mind. You have to be disciplined to read this book. You have to be disciplined to pray. It's, it's the two things that lack the most in churches in America. It's prayer and the reading of God's word. We will watch our favorite TV show for hours upon hours upon hours and never crack open the book to read what God has for us or pray. But God says, you got to be disciplined. You need to be disciplined. I want to do great and awesome things in your life, but you got to be disciplined. The minute you got saved, Satan began doing everything in his power to bring you back, to pull you back into your old ways, to pull you back into this world as soon as you got saved. But Jesus has given us authority over that. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18, says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he tells us in Luke 10, 19, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. Man, that's good news. But here's the problem, is we get into a situation, and the Christian, the first thing we do is, oh God, oh God, oh God, help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. And Jesus said, I have given you authority. I have given you authority. I have given you authority over the enemy. When the enemy attacks... Why are you crying out to me so much? I've given you the authority over the enemy. Take authority over the enemy. You have authority to say, get out. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. Loose me. Leave me alone. You have the authority to speak that over your enemy. We have to take authority over our enemies. God has awesome plans for you, your family. But you'll have to take authority and tell, Jesus, and tell them, not tell Jesus, tell Satan, get out in Jesus' name. 
Get out in Jesus' name. There's power in the name of Jesus. We sing that song, there's power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. You can't do it in the power and the might of you, but you can do it in his power and in his might. And you can say to Satan, you can say to that devil, that enemy, whatever it is in your life, leave me. Be gone. You spirit of lust, you spirit of, uh, of foolishness, you spirit of of doubt and fear, leave me in Jesus' name. You spirit of heaviness, you spirit of depression, leave me in Jesus' name. You have the authority to do that. And the helmet of ter- determination plus the helmet of discipline, I believe, equals the helmet of transformation. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You have to be determined. You're not going to give up. You're going to stay in the fight. You're going to stay in the game. You're going to get better at this. You're going to give God more. You're going to give God time. And then you're going to have to be disciplined and discipline yourself to set some time aside to read your Bible, set some time aside to to, uh, pray, and be disciplined and do it every single day. And I promise you, if you do those things, you'll start living a life of transformation. You'll start seeing God transform your life. And like the scripture says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. But it'll take you not conforming, it'll take you renewing your mind. And that only comes from the word of God. You have to get in this book, you have to renew your mind by this word. You have to train yourself to think differently. I'll share a little story and then I'll close my life I told you guys um, I grew up in a pretty rough home my mom I believe my mom had um, some serious mental issues or, or whatever and, and or just you know my mom was abused uh, by her husband she's been through a lot and so ultimately she took that out on us kids sometimes in the form of rage. She later on would talk to me about it. I love my mom. Don't get me wrong. I love my mom. You only got one mama. You better love her. But I love my mom. But I do believe she had some some problems that she just never gotten taken care of. So as a child growing up in that, you begin to become what you behold. You begin to become what you've been taught statistically you will follow the path that has been laid before you so if you raise in drugs and alcohol and rage and depression and you're that is that's usually the path that you will follow thank God that he has different plans for some people's lives he has a different plans for everybody's life but I thank the Lord he had a different plan for my life you see because I began to follow that pattern I was 17 years old when I got my high school girlfriend pregnant at 16. She was 16. I was going to be a father. The man that I said 
I, I was going to be a man that I said I would never be like that man that, that was absent in my life. I'll never be abusive like him. I'll never be. And so I, I, you know, a year later we got married. Or it wasn't a year later, it was less than that. We got married. And I became a father shortly after that. And I had no idea how to raise a kid. Because I had no example. But I gave it my best shot. But unfortunately, I was filled with rage. I was filled with rage. And I had just uncontrollable seemingly like rage at times. And about two years into my marriage, I was so, I had reached a point that I never thought I'd reach. And I was, I was being violent toward my wife. I was being, uh, man, verbally abusive like, like you wouldn't believe. But in 1997, August 15th, I got saved. And God began to change me. God began to do something in my life. And, but here's the thing. He took things away from me like my mouth. I had a filthy mouth. I cuss like a sailor. But he took, that, he took that away from me. When I got saved, I never had another desire to say another word. But like Paul in his thorn in the flesh, God would not take that away from him. And I had this problem of rage that God would not take from me. And I had to see that his grace was sufficient. So two, three years later in my marriage, we're to the point of absolute divorce. These are the options, divorce or get help. My wife, for countless times, would come to me and say, Get, we just need to go see somebody. We just need to go see somebody. We just need to see. And I'd say, what in the world do I need to see somebody for? Macho man Jason. I'd say, what in the world do I need to see somebody for? I know how I am. I know I'm messed up. I don't need, to, I don't need somebody to tell me that. I surely don't need to pay somebody to tell me that. I know I'm jacked up. I know I'm messed up. And I would fight it for a couple of years and to the point that I reached a level that I never thought I'd reached, and I was getting very physical with my wife in my violent rages. Not, I never hit her, thank God, I never hit her, but I was getting to a point where I was, it was close. I'm just being honest with you. Can I just be honest with y'all? It's getting close. And so it got to the point to where I said, okay, we'll, we'll try this counseling, or we're going to go our separate ways. And so I went to counseling. We went to a man named Dr. Walker Thomas. He was a professor from John Wesley College, and he, uh, he had his own counseling firm. He was a Christian psychologist. And Dr. Walker Thomas was pretty cool. But man, he made me mad. And so I walked into that office the first time Michelle and I, and we did our first counseling session, and he blamed me for everything under the book. And this ain't no lie. You can ask my wife. I'd spin tires out of his parking lot going home. 
I'd spin tires throwing gravel, and I'd be yelling at her all the way home. You don't do nothing wrong. It's all me. It's all me. For real, it's all me. You don't do nothing wrong. And I'd, I'd go home, and I'd stew a little bit, and then I'd come back later, and I'd say, well, you know, he's right. And then I'd go back to counseling, and he'd tick me off again, and I'd spin tires out of there and be headed back home, yelling at her all the way home. And then I'd come back to my senses, and I'd say, well, you know, he's right. This happened for two or three times, and, and then I couldn't make it one time, and Michelle had to go by herself, and the doctor said, how's he doing? <laughs> how's he holding up? And she said, well, not good. <laughs> He's, he, he gets mad. He said, well, he said, I'm intentionally, I want you to hear this, men. I intentionally am being hard on him. Because I believe that he's the leader of the house. I believe that he is the head of the household and the spiritual leader. And if change needs to take place, it needs to start in the man. And so, man, he molded me and he got to me. But he diagnosed me about the fourth visit that I had with him with bipolar disorder. And when I told him the history of my mom... And the history of my dad, I'll never forget, he said, man, you had no chance. He said, you were bound to get it. You were bound to have this problem. And so I began, I began to take lithium carbonate, which is one of the hardest medications out there. And, and it really, really, really helped. It really helped. But then I went to a revival. I still had problems. It really helped, but I still had problems. And I went to a revival. My mentor is Kenny Greenway. I was uh, baptized with Kenny Greenway. He's been a longtime family friend of mine. And uh, he's been my mentor for a long time. And I was talking to him. He, he preached a message on the armor of God. And he said, and I was talking to him about my situation afterwards. And I was telling him, man, I'm just, I'm sick of this. I hate that I'm this way. I hate that it, this, why can't I beat this thing? Why doesn't God deliver me from this? It's bondage in my life. Why does God not deliver me from this bondage? And so Kenny started to tell me how to pray the armor on and how to battle this stuff in the spiritual realm and I remember I remember beginning that and I began to battle this stuff in the spiritual realm and I remember going down the road one day and I was praying my armor on and man I was just overcome with opposition and and I began to cry out to God and I was like God why don't you just take this from me why is why do I have to do this why can't I act normal why can't I just have a calm personality I need you to just deliver me from this because I believe that this is bondage in my life. I believe that this is an open door for Satan to come in and attack me in my weaknesses. Now, I don't believe you need to use this as a crutch. I'm sorry. We live in a world everybody uses this as a crutch and it's a, oh, bless my heart kind of thing. No, it's bondage in my life and God wants to deliver me from it. But watch, God came back to me clearly and he said, when you get enough of my word, internalized in your heart and you begin to respond by this 
instead of your flesh, I'll deliver you. And I believed just as clear as he said that to me. So I began to diligently pray my armor on. And I would get my armor on. I'd get all the pieces on and I would begin to engage the enemy. When I get my armor on, I pray it all the way on. And then I'd stand up and I'd say, in Jesus' name, you spirit of depression, you spirit of rage, you spirit of bipolar disorder, I bind you in Jesus' name. You have no authority over my life. You have no dominion over my life. You have nothing whatsoever over my life in Jesus' name. I bind you in every day, every day. Every day, religiously, I still do it. Every single day. And this has gone on for years and years and years and years. And I want to tell you, lithium couldn't do the job that my battling in the prayer closet does. It couldn't do it. My wife and I will be celebrating 22 years of marriage this coming November. I tell people all the time that Jesus and lithium saved my marriage. But it, the truth is, is I was determined and I made up my mind. I got tired of it and I made up my mind and I said, you know what? I'm going to beat this thing. I'm going to beat this thing. This will not be who I am. I will not be defined by this problem. I will not be defined by this disease. This is not who I am. And I made up my mind to be differently. I made up my mind to battle this. And I'm telling you, it works. It really, really works when you understand that the battle is in the spiritual, it's in your mind, and it really works when you get a hold of it. But it'll take discipline. It'll take being determined. It'll take being disciplined. And you'll have to do it every day. You'll have to, you'll have to make up your mind. I'm going to do it every day. Stand with me. I run over a little bit. That's okay. I just want them to sing this chorus through a couple of times. Lord, I need you. I need you. Every hour I need you. That's so true. That's so true. And I know that there's people in this room. Maybe that's not the problem you have. Maybe you don't have that problem in your life, but there's something in your life. You know, ex you know exactly what it is. You know exactly what that struggle is in your life. And you know what? The only way to get past it is you've got to say, Lord, I need you. And then you've got to get in this word and you've got to get in your battle closet, your war room, and go to battle. Because Satan is doing everything in his power to tear you down, to destroy you, and to destroy your family. Mom, dads, let it, be a let it be a lesson to you that it matters how you raise your kids. It matters how you raise your kids. That temper that you let loose all the time, it matters that your kids see that. You need to beat those things. God's give you the recipe. He's give you the weaponry on how to beat it. So this is an invitation. 
you need help, you come pray. You come ask God to help you be faithful, to help you be diligent. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, basically determined and are disciplined, and they seek him faithfully. They're going to sing. You come. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My heart declares my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Lord, I need you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you have given us provision to live victorious in this life, God. And Father, it's like every other piece of the armor, Father. We'll have to put it on, we'll have to walk in it, and we'll have to go to battle. But Father, I thank you for this one that come and, Father, made a declaration to you. God, I know that there's people in this place that have struggles, Lord. And for whatever reason they didn't come, I don't know. But, Father, you know. You know. And, Lord, I pray that you will work on their hearts as they leave this place. God, let them not, not forget the conviction that they have here this morning. Father, we thank you. We praise you. God, we ask your blessing as we go our separate ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Don't forget your... Uh, your giving box on the way out. <laughs>